Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Matthew Sweezy. And we're going to explore how brands can benefit from Web3. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Matthew Sweezy. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Matthew Sweezy. If you don't know who he is, you need to know who he is. He's the co-founder of Salesforce Web3 Studio and author of Context Marketing Revolution from Harvard Business Press. Welcome to the show, Matthew. How are you doing today? Hey, man, Michael. It's great to be here. I'm doing great. I'm super excited to have you here. Matthew and I are going to explore how brands can benefit from Web3. But before we go there, we're going to start with your story. So, Start wherever you want to start. Like, how in the world did you get into crypto? So let's hear that story. Oh, geez. I think it, this is a fun story for everyone. I live in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, one of my best friends, I moved out here, and we hike a lot. And one day we're hiking, and he's a trader. And he's telling me all about crypto. And I've heard about crypto for a long time. I've been around the world. A friend of mine runs a big crypto podcast. And so I was like, whatever. I didn't really see the connection. Then he starts telling me about NFTs. He's like, man, these are the hot new things everyone's trading. And this was like February of 21. And so like we're like talking about all this stuff. And then we just keep hiking, keep talking about it, keep talking about it. And then one day I got, I had a, I got my COVID vaccine. And they went on this hike and they talked. They're all about like, this is when Solana was at like $15. And they're all like, Solana's going to blow up. So everyone's like, they were having to talk about it. They should have bought it. And I missed that hike. And then like two months later, it's like, you know, some astronomical number. And they're like, dude, you should have been on that hike. So I just learned about it from my friends. And then once I learned about it from my friends, I really just started to put the pieces together and really understand it more. So, I mean, I'd heard about blockchain for a long time, but I hadn't really been able to make the connection between really what that meant for brands in the future. Uh, and I'd written a lot about things such as like co-creation for a long time. I wrote about it in that book for Harvard wrote about the notion of what happens when the individual will be able to own their own data. I've worked on that for a long time. I'm sure you know Doc Searles and the Project VRM over at Harvard, where they look at that. Actually, I don't. Tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, so VRM, so Project VRM. So the notion of an individual owning their data is not a new idea. It's been around for at least a decade, and there's a center in Harvard called VRM, or Vendor Relationship Management, which is the idea that an individual owns their data and then publishes the data out into an open system where brands can say, oh, this individual is looking for this, this is the individual looking for that, and then can use that as a personalization methodology. So it's a flip where a CRM, the brand owns the data. In a VRM world, the individual owns the data and rents it to brands in real time. Huh, fascinating. However... 
that could not be true until blockchain existed. And the reason why is because if any company owns everyone's personal data, they become the giant largest honeypot of the world and become a hacking just mecca. Uh, and so like when you decentralize it, then you can have the security in the system for personalized data. So like that's my story is I was just hiking and my friends like just kind of brought me into this world and all the work that I've done leading up to this point, just kind of like the light bulb just went off. And I was like, wait a second, we're talking co-creation, we're talking individual data ownership, we're talking about, you know, authenticity and just kind of like all just bubbled up and here I am. Okay. There's more to the story here though, obviously, because somewhere along the way, you have to evangelize this internally at a very big corporation, it sounds like, right? So it's one thing to go on a hike with friends who happen to be podcasters and are telling you to buy into Solana or Cardano or whatever one you were just talking about. And it's another thing to essentially work for a massively humongous corporation, which is what you work for, Salesforce, which, you know, I own some Salesforce stock, full disclosure. So you get this idea in your head about, all right, this is fascinating. What the heck do I do with this? Right. I mean, like what, 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 Tell us a little bit more of that story. So then I started digging around internally to see what we were doing. So of course I get super interested in this and I start digging around and I come across a memo and it was an internal memo. And so I look at the author and I reach out to the author of the memo and we get on a call. And at the current point in time, I was co-running the Salesforce Futures Lab. So under Peter Schwartz, there's a lab where we activate futurism. Uh, with customers. And so I was co-running that with Link or others. And what is that? Just so people understand, what does that mean? Futurism? That sounds like a very... Yeah, so futurism. So if you ever like went to MBA school or B school, you'd learn like scenario planning, or you'd learn like foresight, or you'd learn like these elements of futurism. So futurism is a discipline um, where usually you are working to kind of understand large, what we call capital F future, which is like a 10-year out time horizon of how might things be different. And then you usually back that into creating multiple scenarios. And then you use those scenarios to plan your business or government or whatever entity you may be to most likely prepare for those scenarios. And then each scenario has what we would call like signals or guideposts. So if one of those flags gets thrown up, you know exactly which future is most likely and you've already prepared for it. That's what kind of futurism and scenario. Okay. So you were working and you came across a memo. Fascinatingly enough, you know, memos aren't kind of the words. Like I remember when we actually had memos and we had copy machine people and we would ask them to distribute a memo across the corporation. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you say memo, what do you mean by memo? Was it like an internal blog post? Yeah, it was an internal document that it was written up by Adam talking about just, you know, the elements of like why this is interesting and these different aspects of the technology. And so then I reached out to Adam and told him what I was doing. And he's like, here's what I'm doing. I was like, well, here's what I want to do. And he goes, yeah, go do that. So that's, that's what I just went and did. But then he's like, you need to meet Max. So my other co-founder's guy named Max Comparetto. And so we uh, co-founded the studio. And so we support the product. So we have Web3 products that are coming to market and we support those in helping brands make the transition from Web2 to Web3. Okay, for those of us that don't work in big corporate America, which is probably most of us, is it normal that a corporation allows internal entrepreneurship almost? I mean, it sounds like this might be unusual, right? Or is this normal that they would inspire people internally to go ahead and start projects using corporate funds? The answer is yes and no. So depending on your role, you have like different levels of latitude and flexibility. I currently have a lot of flexibility in my role. And so I focused on the future for a long time. And this is just a very specific application of that. So for me, it's very easy to kind of do that and dedicate that time. We have lots of other people who work on the project who dedicate part-time 
it's very easy. I mean, we have a, a massive network of, we, we have Web3 ambassadors. We have um, you know, about 100 ambassadors internally who help us and support us are not paid through a product. So they just dedicate you know, 10% or 50% of their time and they have that on there approved by their managers. They can dedicate that time. You know, not too dissimilar from, I think, Google's 10% policy. So, you know, it just depends. Um, but we're a very progressive and flexible organization. And that's, you know, this is a new thing that we're testing of like, you know, can you bring a product to market in a decentralized way? So tell us a little bit. Well, actually, we'll come back to your product in a little bit. But I want to ask this question. There's lots of people listening right now that are involved in business in different capacities. We've got some people that are working in the marketing department or the sales department of, of a business they don't own. We've got some people that are uh, building up a side hustle. You know, they might, they're highly aspirational or even entrepreneurial and they realize that this Web3 is going to be something, but they don't know exactly what they want to do with it. And then, of course, we've got creators who are out there trying to become for lack of better words, influencers in this world and start up their own agencies and consultancies. What do you want to say about why Web3 for business? Why do you think this is going to be important for those that are listening? I'll use some futurism for you here. Let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So to do so as a part of futurism, you look for signals of the future. So you take a wide lens and you look and there's a very specific process to do this, but I'll just give you kind of four signals of the future and kind of what they might point to as a very different possible future. For us. And the first is if we just look at general conversation. So if you were to go and look at a Google Trends and compare the term Web3 to one of the world's largest musicians, who is Justin Bieber, what you'll realize is the conversation around Web3 is on average five times larger than the conversation on Justin Bieber. And back in like August timeframe, it spiked to 10 times as large as the conversation. So in terms of topical relevance, it is a large conversation happening. So that's signal number one. There's lots of people talking about it. Number two is you want to look through a lens of like government and institution, right? So if governments change policy, that affects everyone in those environments, which is a lot of people quickly. And so when we look at this, the lens of government, what you realize there's about 220 odd countries in the world. Currently, as of like today, 91 of them are experimenting with digital currency. So that means almost half of the planet, their governments are currently experimenting with digital currency in some way, shape, or form. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means if any government starts to issue digital currency, you're now going to have a massive consumer base with digital currencies. And digital currency is cryptocurrency. So if you have lots of people with cryptocurrency in their hands, they're going to want to spend that. Hence, they're going to want to spend that with you. And so now you start to have to be accepting of crypto. So that's a second. The third I would look at is this notion of the metaverse. Now, the metaverse is a subset of Web3, but it's still a very telling thing. And, and why is it telling? And, and let me give you a really quick, easy an analogy. If you're a marketer and I asked you, what did you have to do to reach millennials, to reach me? The answer is you had to go social. First, a social handle. And then you built up a social program. And then you got into influencer marketing. And then we got progressive and we started having social commerce. And then we started to have, you know, the list goes on. And then we end up with TikTok. Well, the question is, well, why did we do that? Well, it's because that was a socially native generation. That's where they spent their time. That's where they hung out. That's where you met them. That's how you met those people. Well, if we look at the generations behind millennials, what we have is Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And the majority of the time they spend in three programs, Minecraft, Fortnite, and Roblox, each of which is a metaverse. Now, how many people? We're talking 300 million daily active users in those three platforms every day. One in five people on Roblox change the skin on their avatar every day. 
You have entire generations who are natively have digital currencies. If you have a, a child between the ages of eight and 15, I would be surprised if they did not ask you for Robux for Christmas, or if you did not buy them a digital good. My, you're laughing, Mike. No, no, it's because, it's yeah, my youngest daughter is definitely always asking for more money on Robux. Yes, and that's digital currency. Now, like, let this blow your mind. Your daughter is exchanging digital currency every day as a native natural aspect of how she conducts commerce. That is natural. And here's the crazy part. What's she buying with it? She's buying digital goods with it. Right. And so for people that are not native to this world, we're like, why the hell do you want to own a digital thing? Why do you want to own a digital shirt? This makes no sense. But to an entire generation, this is natively how they operate. And so that's the next major signal is we have 300 million daily active users who spend digital currency every day, who buy digital goods, who use those digital goods to represent their digital identity, which to them is just their identity. I mean, we have stories just coming out the ears of like, my favorite one is a kid. So as a child, I did not care. I still probably don't care what I look like. I just, honestly, Mike, I put this stuff on just for this because I'm on video that, yeah, that's me getting dressed up. And so the funny part is this kid, like doesn't care what he looks like when he goes to school, but it's COVID times. And so he's having a birthday party and the birthday party is going to happen in Roblox. He has so much anxiety about his outfit that he's going to wear in Roblox. It is a digital outfit. So this kid doesn't care about his physical clothes, very much cares about his digital clothes because that is where his friends meet. And that's the identity that he is known by. Just look at those signals. Those are signals pointing to a very different future uh, out there. Okay. So you mentioned four though, and I got- Yeah, my brain stopped. I couldn't uh, remember. You don't remember the fourth? Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to- Okay, don't come to me then. I'm going to go over the three that you mentioned. Number one is the general conversation. And basically using Google Trends, you were able to see that Web3 is hotter than Justin Bieber. Number two is government policy change. And you've got all sorts of countries around the world that are experimenting with digital currency, including- Obviously, some countries adopting Bitcoin as their native currency, and you've even got the United States government putting together review panels because they're very interested in specifically doing something like this. And then the third thing was the metaverse, right, which is we don't think of the metaverse this way, but we're talking Minecraft, Roblox, these kinds of games, if you will, that are used by the younger generation almost every single day. And, and let's not call them games because that's going to discount. That's going to have people confused. All right. So, so think about it this way. World of Warcraft. That's a game, right? Right. That is a game where the player goes into a game that has been created by a game designer and they play this world. Now they do have a digital currency. They do have an economy, but now compare that to Roblox. Your kid goes into Roblox. What are they doing? They're playing a game another kid created. It is a co-created world between the players and the platform. So it is not that they go in to do a thing that was set for them. It's they go into an entirely immersive experience that they actually co-build with everyone else. So it's a different way of being. Uh, it also has the currency. It also has an economy and deep social immersion. Okay, so let's just say in this case, there's three signals, not four signals. And I got the fourth for you. I remember the fourth. I'm sorry, Michael. Oh, you got it. Oh, what is it? Okay. The, the fourth is uh, if we look at digital goods sold versus physical goods. So if we compare OpenSea, which is the largest digital selling platform of digital goods, and we compare that to one of the largest secondary platforms for selling physical goods, which is Etsy. So if we compare OpenSea, most people may not have heard of OpenSea, they sold $3 billion of digital goods last August. Now, this was a peak. But remember, we're looking at signals, not just everything. Right. And then in the same month, Etsy sold $1 billion of physical goods. So in the same month, a website sold three times as many digital goods as one of the largest secondary marketplaces sold of physical goods. Okay, so we step back and we acknowledge these trends that are going on. And as a result of these trends... What do you want to say to people that are ignoring this? I mean, like, it sounds like these are almost irrefutable trends, right? 
I mean, if you're one of my competitors, please keep ignoring. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say is, hey, there's some big opportunities here. And as a result, do you still feel like we're pretty early days? Oh, we're so, we're, we're so early days that I don't want people to freak out, right? Because let me just give you a really like funny story. I was talking to a person who ran an NFT conference. I won't say who or what, but I was, this conversation was last October. And he's like, yeah, man, I've been in the NFT space for a long time, like 10 to 12 months. <laughs> that was a true statement because the NFT marketplace really, I mean, it's been around like, I think 2017 was technically actually the start. But since then, I mean, like it's only been a year. And so we're talking about a lot of basic things, but let's just, it's super, super early, right? So to spend these things, you got to have digital wallets. Like how many millions of people have digital wallets? Not that many. We're talking like, depending on how you count it, like 10 to 20 million people. That's not a massive market. We're talking, you know, there's lots of value in, in cryptocurrency, but it's not necessarily held by a wide majority of people yet. Then you've got, see, you just, just different aspects like metaverses. People really aren't going into the met. There's a lot of kids in metaverses and there's a lot of interesting ha things happening in metaverses. But I mean, we're not seeing people. Yes, Adidas sold $23 million of NFTs in one drop. And we're seeing a significant amount of digital goods. But I mean, that's still, we're talking like in comparison to physical goods, it's still very, very tiny. So it's super early days, super early technology, but everyone needs to be aware of it. I think everyone's super hyped on it because of the, the money, right? The markets. I mean, when you're talking, this is a fascinating statistic. All right. So if we talk web two versus web three, two of the biggest web two brands, Instagram and TikTok, combined market cap, $500 billion, right? Now take Ethereum and Bitcoin, the two largest web three brands. Combined market cap, $1.5 trillion. The two largest Web3 properties are already 3x, two of the largest Web2 properties, and we're only in the early days, right? So it's things like that that get people really excited. But I mean, if you look at utility, it's still very, very nascent in terms of where are we with the utility? And that's where we're going to have to get to really make this market really kind of get to a size. Well, it's kind of fascinating because it's true that a lot of these big NFT projects, some of the biggest ones have not been around that long. Board Ape Yacht Club has not even been around for two years, I don't believe. V Friends from Gary Vaynerchuk just recently, I think, came up on their one-year anniversary of their initial V Friends drop. So it feels like a long time only because there's been so much that's happened during that time. Web three years are like dog years. It's like every month is like a year in web three. So let's talk about businesses slash brands and how they could get involved because you and I, in preparation for this, came up with some different steps that businesses can take given the stage that we're at, even when we're recording this at the end of May, 2022, and this isn't gonna come out for a good month. We're still extremely early. How can brands get involved? Where do you think they ought to get started? Yeah, so let's just take a basic crawl and then walk and then a run approach, right? So if you are in the crawl stage, meaning like you haven't launched a program, you don't have a chief metaverse officer, you just want to figure things out. What I would suggest that you do today are a couple of basic things. Number one is start to have a conversation with your internal team. Put up a Slack channel and call it the Web3 Slack channel. And then you will find all of the Web3 people, all the crypto bros, everyone in, the, in your world who's into these things, start talking with them. Ask them what they think that you should do because they probably already thought about it. And they probably are about to leave your company to go do that thing that they thought they're supposed to go do, right? So go talk with them, find out, have conversations with your customers. Then start having things with all of your other stakeholders, your chief financial officer. How are you going to accept crypto, right? Before you even sell that NFT, you're gonna have to know how are you gonna account for it on your books? How are you gonna account for the tax implications? That is a massive question. 
How are you going to account for the legal implications? So there's lots of groundwork that you can be doing today by simply just having these conversations. That's the crawl. Just start doing that and you'll be good. If you want to start walking. Wait, wait, let's talk about crawl for a second, just because, huh, I mean, I think about my company, you know, we're not Salesforce, obviously we're much smaller, but I remember first it started many years ago, me having a conversation with our controller internally, should we invest in crypto? And this was back probably in 2018, 2019. And we had decided, no, it was too risky to invest some of our corporate assets in crypto. But then, then we're like, the next question is, should we receive it? Right. And this is back when it was very volatile. And of course it's still very volatile to this day, but we're finally having the conversation. Literally some of our teams are having this conversation. Okay. We actually can receive crypto as a payment. And there are now tools that make it not that difficult to receive crypto as a payment. But between that initial conversation, what I did internally was I said, okay, we're going to take some of our corporate treasury and we're going to invest in crypto and we're going to invest in NFTs. So we started investing in all sorts of different NFT projects. We also started investing in mostly uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and holding them on the books, right? And struggling, like, how do we actually value these as assets on the book? Just like you might value real estate assets and stuff like that. So this is something I think that any business of almost any size can start wrestling with because you are right. There are tax implications of, you know, you have to spend Ethereum, for example, to buy an NFT. And my understanding is that is a taxable event. Of course, this is not financial advice. I am not a financial person, but I know that that's, that's indeed what that is. It is just one of those kind of things where people hear this a lot. You kind of got to get in the game a little bit to understand the game, right? It's not till you begin to understand the volatility of crypto and how some of these NFT projects work that you can begin to go to the next stage I would think, but I'm telling you that we've been doing a lot of crawling internally here at social media examiner and we've been getting muddy and dirty, but I think that's okay. Don't you agree? Sometimes it's worth it. You're doing it right. That's what you should be doing. And you also are doing a little bit more than crawl. I'd say some of that is a walk. So if you're starting to buy into projects, I'd call that a walk step. Okay. And so like, once you're starting to actually use things and let's call that walking at this stage in the game, and you should do that. I think that's a great step. So let's just chat really quickly. When the term NFT, when a brand hears NFT, now I'm not going to say that it's not a good thing because there's definitely a million awesome good use cases. That doesn't mean your brand needs to like come out with an NFT today. You know, maybe what you should probably do is maybe just start to tiptoe in the market like you did and buy into some projects. Now, why would you want to do that as a brand? Well, number one is these are active communities. And so now you are working with communities and you can co-create with those communities and you can engage with those communities. This is, this is a whole new level of marketing that we haven't had before, right? So like, I would just say like, just start picking some communities and engaging with communities, right? And then let them like learn and experiment with them. Maybe give some of your employees time to go work in those DAOs so you can learn how these functions work and get some better knowledge. So I'd say start with that. And then if you want to crawl a little harder, you could just simply extend the utility of an NFT. So let me like take one step back. So an NFT is just like a term. And then what that NFT represents or what is the benefit to the individual, we use the term utility, usually from the creator side because SEC regulation. You want to say utility to make sure it's not a security. That's not legal advice, but that's how the market operates. And so you've got this utility. And that means what does it do for the individual? What is the benefit here? 
where you can add benefit to anybody's project. Let me give you a really good example of how this has been done for years. You ever go to an airplane and they say, if you are military, you get to board first. Right. They are giving you over the top utility. They're extending the value of your job in a way that is beneficial to both of you. I see. Right. So you could simply do that with an NFT project. You could say, if you come to my website and you are a project holder of X, you can receive Y. You don't have to talk to that project. You don't have to call them and ask for permission. You can just do that. And that extends the utility of that individual's purchase. So you're extending the value that the, uh, of something they've already had. So you can do those two things as a walk methodology. This is fascinating because I have seen different projects that uh, either I personally own or that the corporation owns specifically partner with brands. Sometimes they'll partner with brands to do special airdrops of NFTs specifically from that brand. You kind of mentioned the Adidas project. I believe they partnered with the Board Ape Society and a couple of other projects to create something, which I don't even totally understand what it is. I've also seen brands give kind of preferential allow list treatment to their launches, right? Like they're about to do a launch and they partner with another existing NFT community and they give them preferential treatment to be on the allow list because they want those kinds of people to own their project. Is this the kind of stuff that we're talking about or are we talking about something a little different here? Exactly right. But we're talking about merging this into the Web2 world. So all the things that you just explained were like Web3 things, right? Like my NFT project with your NFT project, those are two Web3 natives working together. Right. No one listening to this is a Web3 native project. We're mostly all Web2 brands, but have existing businesses trying to figure out how do we embrace Web3. And so what we're saying is, as a Web2 brand, use your Web2 assets. You have a website, that's a Web2 asset. You have a community, it's a Web2 asset. Like you can use these things and simply enable them and say, if you come to this thing, connect your wallet. And then if you have said NFT or said project, I'm going to give you X value. Now you can even go as far as going into those communities and like advertising this, or it can just be simply by byproduct of them coming to your website. They can get that value, but we call that over the top utility. Got it. And this kind of value, do you have any examples that you've seen brands do in particular off the top of your head? In terms of this, not exactly. Okay. This is conceptual. Yeah. So when I get to like sit and like try to ideate and help brands figure out what they're supposed to do in the future, this is where, here's the thing. If you go launch an NFT project, it's going to cost you a minimum of a million bucks right now, right? Let's just imagine that's the number. Now we're talking large scale. If you're going to have to have a community, you're going to launch a project, you're going to have to manage all of that. You're going to do the artwork, all the technology. And then all the developer costs, developers are super expensive. You're looking around a, a mill. Now, a lot of brands are not going to get that money back in a direct ROI, right? Because you're not going to be able to sell your NFTs for a super high dollar value, right? Gucci sold a pair of NFTs for $12. It was a $12 shoes for Robux, right? So when we're thinking about virtual goods, they're going to have a different price point. And sometimes they'll be higher. Art will be higher. But a lot of things will be lower. So you're going to have to sell a lot of NFTs at you know a dollar to five dollars to ten dollars to recoup that million dollars. So there's got to be other ways to like figure out how to make this thing work. And it's simply just saying I can extend the value of others. You don't have to create anything, so you don't need that million dollars. And then the ROI is instant because someone comes and connects. You know because you have the wallet. You can see who they are. You know exactly what they are. You know exactly what you're giving them in return, and you can make that ROI work in a lot simpler way. Um, so I think that, you know, as brands, as we think about this, it's not a one size fits all. Most brands will do all of these things in the future. But I'm saying, what would I start with? I don't know if I'd start with a test that costs a million dollars if I'm not a massive brand where I can take that risk. And if I'm a small brand, I would definitely try to find ways I can work with others to not have to take that million dollar hit and still get good ROI. Okay. So we've got crawl, 
right? Which is pretty much figure out how to find some internal people inside the company that share an interesting passion and collaborate in your extra time to work on projects and eventually figure out how you can accept crypto as payments. And then we've got this walk concept we just talked about, which is to go out there and find some NFT projects that seem to contain customers that are in alignment with the kinds of customers that you feel like you already have access to um, and figure out a way to somehow extend some sort of utility to those customers in this over-the-top utility format concept that you were talking about. Let's say we want to actually do a little running. What what comes next? All right, so stretch first. All right. Yeah, so then launch a project. You know, so you just launch a project. Now, there's lots of different types of projects you can launch. When you think about an NFT, it's really about what is the utility? Like, what is it going to do? So there are projects that just build communities, and these communities can co-create things. There are brands that are building literally virtual product lines. There are brands that are going as far as creating reverse product lines. This is a fun one where they create the virtual product first. And if it sells well, they'll then make the physical product and airdrop it to the people that bought the virtual product. You can get into lots of really fun, crazy things. But once again, like unless you have the cash and capital to do it, it's super early days, right? So it's a super small market. Most people and most brands, let's be clear, if I talk to a CMO or a major corporation, everything we're talking about is under the guise of testing right now, right? So even the ones that are super successful, they tested, they're still testing. Now they're just trying to figure out how to scale, right? Or what's the next thing? So like, just remember, everyone's testing. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about identity and Web3. Originally, I discovered you because you were on Mark Schaefer's show and you were talking a little bit about what Web3 could mean for identity in kind of this post-cookie world. This fascinating little little trail we're going to go down here. So give me your thoughts. Uh, I got lots of them. So going back to that original notion of VRM and talking with Doc, uh, he wrote a book called, I believe it, Doc, hate me. I've got the book around here somewhere. I'll tell you a funny story about it later. But I think it's called Infinite Possibilities. I may be wrong on that one. In that book, that's kind of where this idea comes from. And so I kind of got really tied in back then with this notion of individual ownership of data. And like I said, blockchain really was the key. Like there have been lots of companies that tried it but none of them really took off. And then blockchain really is the thing that broke this thing wide open. And the thing that breaks it wide open is the wallet. So each individual now has a wallet. And inside of that, and and by the way, if you're listening to this, Wallet Connect is the email of the future, right? We do content marketing right now and we ask, I give you content and I ask for your email in exchange. In the future, you're gonna ask for a Wallet Connect. So like, just kind of keep that in the back of your head. Like this is the future of how we connect. And so in that wallet, the individual holds things. Those things that can be held are data. So I can hold my own personal data. Here's a really interesting thoughts, right? So currently, if I give you, Michael, information about me, it goes into your CRM and that goes into a line and you own that data. Now, there are certain laws where I could say you have to delete that data and I have to reach out to you and trust that you delete that data, right? We would call that a not really good system. What we now have is this notion where, and by the way, this is theoretical, but a lot of people are working on it, where the individual can own the data and I can give you essentially a key to access my data. And inside of your CRM or your database just lives a key, not the actual data. I control that key. And so I have a little switch. I can flip it on or off. And so rather than me having to say, you sent me an email, I don't want to be on this list anymore. I have to unsubscribe, go to another thing, and then the whole system, you know, instead I'm just going to go to my wallet, click a button and say, you no longer have access. That key no longer works. I don't have to worry about you removing that data. I control it. So we call this self-sovereign identity this notion where the individual owns their identity. And so that's one aspect of it. And just 
owning your basic data, such as that could just be name, telephone number, address, products you own, what you've looked at in your wallet, all kinds of stuff. And then it can get even crazier. But I'm just going to stop with that one. Yeah, let's talk about this a little bit because as someone who is extremely active on Web3, I know that, you know, I've got my MetaMask installed, which is as of today, the leading crypto wallet. And, you know, you see this connect wallet on a lot of these decentralized apps and websites that you go to. And what most people don't realize is that it's even if you kind of time out or whatever, it's still connected. Right. And they know my wallet address. And because that wallet address is public, anybody can scan that. Right. And they can see every transaction I've ever done. They can see every NFT I own. They can see any crypto that I purchased that's been transferred in and out of that particular wallet. And that information is valuable. Hypothetically, if I was a business and I wanted to target individuals who happen to own what we call blue chip NFT projects, things like World of Women or Moonbirds or Board Ape Yacht Society, I could look to see whether or not one of those NFTs lives inside of one of those wallets and then technically somehow, some way that could be valuable. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Yes and more. So the first question is, yes, all that's possible, right? So you can look on a wallet because it's got an ID and it sits on the chain, that chain's public. You can see everything. If we think about this from the brand lens, now, a lot of people listening to this may not have ever worked in in large brands, but let me kind of share with you a a basic study a, a major brand will do, and it's called a share of wallet study. These are usually high six, low seven figure studies. They usually take anywhere, six months is quick, a year is going to be more average. And these studies will look at the consumer base and they say, listen, your average consumer spends $100 a year in your vertical and you get $20 of that 100. So that's your share of wallet, right? It's a way for you to measure like, how do you compare? Well, if someone comes to my website and connects their wallet and I can see everything they bought, let's just go through what I know about them. I know exactly on that individual what my share of wallet is. It's not a high level macroeconomic study. It is a, I know Mike has never spent a dollar with me, right? Or I know Mike bought my shoes. I know he bought them on discount and he only buys things on discount. And he buys them from other places on discount. Not only do you get all of that, you get social graph. You can see who they connect with, who they sell to, who they share with. So there's a lot of data back there. We should clarify, this is in a future world where people are using crypto to pay for everything, right? That's not Correct. That's not today's reality where I'm using a credit card and that information is essentially not going to be publicly on chain, right? Correct. We're talking about a future world. And in that future world, we have to ask the question, yes, we can, but should we? Well, you know, so yeah, go on. The answer is not unless you get consent. Okay. That's going to be the answers, not unless you get consent. Yeah, fascinating. So what I'm hearing you say is that our identities in the future are going to be assuming that blockchain and everything remains public because right now everything is public. You cannot hide, which is, I think, good news and bad news. The good news is that it's very hard to be a bad guy in the world of crypto because they're going to be able to track you down. But there's also not as much privacy either, right? But the future kind of where I see this going is if you could develop a really cool decentralized application or utility that provides value to the masses and you can get the masses to connect their wallet to your app, if you will. And it could even be just the equivalent of a website that's got great content that's gated and you have to connect your wallet, right? With that information, I would imagine could come incredible 
power. There isn't yet a communication layer right now easily built into Web3. So it's not like if you have their wallet, you can just send them a, a message. You really can't unless you happen to also know what their Twitter address is, which is where some of these crazy connections come in. But the days are coming. And I know there's lots of people working on open protocols that are going to allow a communication layer to be on top of Web3. Maybe even Salesforce is working on such a thing. But that's where it starts to get really fascinating and really powerful because I could see the wallet address the same way I see the phone number today. You're exactly right. Your wallet ID is the identity of the future. Yeah. So tell me more. Uh, let's see. What, I mean, what else do you want to go with the wallet ID? I mean, there's, oh, let's talk about this is a fun one. All right. So we talked about like personal data. Yeah. But let's talk about this notion of like knowledge. All right. So let's say that I said I wrote on my a degree or my application for your business that I went to Harvard or Cornell, pick, pick some fancy school. And then you have to then go reach out to that organization to find out if this person actually went there. That's like pretty basic. We all do that. Super basic is like, well, what happens? And this is already happening. That colleges issue diplomas on blockchain. Ah. Why? It's so that you can simply ping it and say, is this person true? Did this person actually go there? Like that's the most basic. All right. Now let's take this idea and get a little bit more advanced. All right. So used to work with a colleague of mine named Phil Kamarni. Phil has a stealth startup doing this, which is super awesome. So he was over at the uh, University of Texas Systems, I believe, UT Texas, I believe. They had a graduation problem. People would never complete their degrees, their diplomas. And usually they were just a few credit hours shy of completing their diplomas. They may have failed a course or two and that they just didn't have the time or resource to go then take that credit course again to get their diploma. So what they realized was it's silly, right? It's silly. You took the entire course. You may have like missed three skills. And because you missed those three skills, you failed the class. But you really didn't like fail the entire thing. You just didn't understand a small part of it. So rather than making you retake the entire thing and relearning everything, they broke it all down into the skills. And what they said is now that we have the skills that we know, when you test, we know what skills you know, which ones you don't. Micro skilling, right? Basic concept. So now that we have these micro skills, when you get to the end, if you failed something or just didn't know it, you just go take that micro course and you take that micro skill. And then if you get to the end, you don't have to pay for the whole credit hour, you just pay for that micro skill. I think they increased graduation rates through that by 40%. Something crazy like that. You can follow up with, with Phil later to get the exacts. But now let's take that into the real world and say, okay, now we end up with these blockchain-based ledgers of all the stuff that we know. So when I go to apply for a job, I don't have to like write up this big diatribe of like, I know Excel, I have good communication skills. And now you're going to leave school with a verified credential of here's exactly what you know. We call this badging in this current world, right? Like you take a course. So let's say that you're a real estate agent where well, you have to take continuing education courses, right? So all of these things will then become verified credentials that will live inside of your wallet in the future. So you'll connect to apply for a job. It'll look at your verified credentials and say, yep, they're allowed to work on this job. Now we can take this even further and get even crazier if you're ready for it, Michael. Bring it. All right. So if you're on this call and you, the, the term is DAO, D-A-O, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. I'm not going to define what it is, but I'm going to tell you some things of how these things operate. These are groups of people who use smart contracts to essentially manage the group, right? They have a shared treasury and that's kind of the basics, right? Now, this is how a lot of us work. It's called a bounty board. So inside of the DAO, first off, you can only get into the DAO if you own a specific token. That could be a currency or that could be an NFT. 
then that's a gate. That's token gated. So now you can get into the DAO through the gate. Now, the next thing is that you go and you say, I want to do work. Well, you go to the bounty board. The bounty board is saying, here's all the work that we need done and how much we'll pay for it. So now take the verified credential and take that idea of a bounty board and marry them together for the future of work. So the future of work, current gig work is we just made it a lot easier for brands to hire people to do gigs, but it's still the same basic process. In the future, we'll have bounty boards. You will have a corporate bounty board and it'll say, here are all the projects I want done. Here's how much I'll pay you to do them. You will not get access to that company's bounty board unless you've taken the corporate policy and the corporate training from that company, which they will then give you an NFT as a verification. That is your key. You will then unlock that bounty board with that NFT, and that will then give you access to all the jobs. How do we know which jobs you can do? Well, we know what you can do because your verified credential tells us what you can do. So now you will only be presented with what you can do. Then you do the job, you submit it back, Another person in the DAO will verify that that work is done. And once that verification happens, you get instantly paid. That's really cool. Tell me about Web3 Studio by Salesforce. What is it exactly? Because I know we didn't really talk about it very much. So who's it for and what does it do? We co-founded this studio to really help brands move and transition from Web2 to Web3, really live in this space that we call Web2+. And to do that, the studio, we do two things. One is we have a combination of advisory services, incubators that we help incubate projects. We run boards, so I run the advisory board. So those different types of aspects internally. We also support our product uh, with go-to-market methodologies. So we are a go-to-market method for our product to kind of help them move into the marketplace as well. So we both do internal and external facing work. Fascinating. Matthew, if people want to reach out to you, on the socials, where do you want to send them? And if they want to check out the Web3 Studio, do you have a place that we can send them to at this point? If you go to salesforce.com, there should be some stuff on there at that point in time with the Salesforce Web3 Studio. But I wouldn't really worry about that. It's easier just to reach me on LinkedIn, just Matthew with one T, and then Sweezy is spelled S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. And then on Twitter, I am M Sweezy. And if you read that really fast, you'll realize that I am Miss Wheezy on Twitter. So, <laughs> Okay, so last name is S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. Say what your Twitter ID was again, just because I don't think everybody caught that. M M Sweezy. So like, like eight years ago, my buddy was like, dude, who's this Miss Wheezy that keeps tweeting at me? And I was like, thanks, buddy. I was like, oh, it's just your first letter and your last name. My right? last name. Yeah, it's M Sweezy. And if you read it quickly, it's Miss Wheezy. Oh, that's hilarious. Nobody would have thought of that, but now everybody knows it. So Matthew Sweezy, thank you so much for answering all my questions and translating a lot of this what seemingly is complex stuff into language that I think everybody can understand. Really appreciate your time today. No problem. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C24. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us and let your friends know about this show. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter, we deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.